everybody, it's Karen Millsap here, AKA the Grief Consultant. Man, I had such a great conversation with Ryan Folan. We talked about everything from the heartbreak to how you can increase your bank account with just some great practices for speakers. So I want you to dive in. I want you to get a pen, paper, or maybe even just pull out your phone, take some notes. You're definitely not gonna wanna miss this. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of World of Speakers. Today, we have Karen Millsap, that's with two L's, not one, and she is coming to us to talk about how she has gotten to where she is, the speaking advice that she can give, and then how she sees it best to monetize your message. Karen, welcome to the world of speakers. Oh, thanks for having me. And thanks for pointing that out. Two L's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's important because you, as well as I, have these name games we all play, right? You listen for someone and I say, hey, my name is Ryan. They go, nice to meet you, Brian. <laughs> Exactly. No, no, Ryan with an R. And they go, oh, Brian, like, no, <laughs> I'd like to respond to anything that sounds close or even not. But uh, but yeah, Millsap with two L's. That's helpful. There we go. Yep. <laughs> so where in the world are you calling from today? Orlando, Florida, sunny Florida. <laughs> sunny and uh, and sort of windy and uh, stormy too, right? It has been a little bit. Yeah. I mean, coming off of Irma, I feel like we are getting, we usually get a lot of um, rain during the summertime, but I feel like it's dragging out a little bit. So I'm like, I thought the hurricane season was over, but no, it's it's still cooler, as we like to say, now that we're in into October. It's almost like having an audience that you expect and showing up and it being different, but you as a person have to continue to deliver the same thing, regardless of the weather, regardless of the audience, regardless of the conditions. Yeah, just got to keep it rolling. <laughs> so for those people who don't know you, including myself, you know, what is it that you talk about when you meet people and they ask you what you do? What is that? What does that conversation look like? Who are you? What do you do, Karen? Yeah, well, I am uh, known by many as the grief consultant. And that phrase was kind of coined because I, I entered this world of grief suddenly. Um, I became a widow about four years ago. But I knew I didn't want to be a grief counselor. I really wanted to talk about grief in the workplace. You know, it's awkward. It's weird. It's, you know, something that we try to not address, yet it's universal and it's inevitable. So I coined this phrase, the grief consultant, and it, it just stuck with me. I mean, everybody will, you know, call me when they've experienced a change or a loss and they just need help kind of navigating and, and looking forward and what can they do. And so, so yeah, I decided, you know, after I lost my husband that I knew I had two choices, you know, it was very, very tough. I have a little one, but I looked at him and I just thought, okay, I have two choices here. I can either give up or I can get up. And so I just started forging forward and figuring out this life and, you know, how to heal and, and heal in a proper way. And as I started to do that, I just was sharing my story because I recognized the power of story. And honestly, I hate my story. I don't like this story. You know, I wish that it were something more fun and pleasant, but but it is something that's relatable because everybody's been through something. So I've had to really humble myself and get out of my own way and just know that me telling the story is also honoring my husband's life 
and it is helping people to heal. So that's me and what I'm doing. Wow. One thing that you said that stuck out was getting out of your own way. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us struggle with that because when it comes to grief, it is a, it is a pretty taboo topic. And I think at least for me personally, it's because it taps into these emotions that I I try to push down and try to hide. Mm -hmm. And it is inevitable, but it's kind of one of those things that it's almost like an earthquake, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But when it's here, it's all of a sudden top of mind. And then you're even confused as to what to do with it. Like, honestly, when you said you'd lost your husband, I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm so sorry. But then I'm thinking, is that the right word to say? No, I'm just going to be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's all awkward. It's awkward if you're the person going through it. It's awkward if you're supporting somebody. You know, I saw this phenomenal interview um, that Anderson Cooper did and he was actually being interviewed and he was talking about his brother years ago committed suicide. And he said exactly, you know, how I felt is that grief is awkward in this society. But really, the more we talk about it, then the more we can help each other get through it. And that's where I am. That's kind of where I, the sandbox I want to play is. I want to have these conversations, these uncomfortable conversations so that people know not only, because it, it helps you when you're healing, but you certainly will cross paths with somebody or, or find yourself in a position where someone else needs that support or that hope or that strength. And because we've all been through it, we need to help each other get through it. Yeah. And it really, at least for me personally, there, there's been a few uh, deaths of some close family friends and going to their memorial with my parents has been kind of like, you know, the next level to where it's like, there's just this awkwardness. You don't know how to really talk about it. And therefore we sort of don't, but what you just said about the more we talk about it, the more we can deal with it. Do you think that that is sort of a universal truth when it comes to issues, everything from, you know, politics to personal lives, to relationships, to works? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I feel that way is because, well, First of all, as it pertains to grief, when we suppress it, eventually it'll manifest itself in unhealthy ways, right. whether it's irrational behavior or alcohol abuse or substance abuse or, or you know, excessive shopping. Like it could be anything, right? It just starts to manifest itself because these are natural emotions. Although they are toxic, they're natural emotions. And the more you suppress it, you're just, you're prolonging that healing process. So you do have to talk about it. And I tell people even the crying process, which is awkward. And you're like, I don't really know if I should shed tears now. I feel it building up. Those are healing waters. And I saw that on a movie. It said, let the healing waters flow. And it's so, so true. But anything that has to do, not just grief. I think that all of these, especially with the, the climate of our world right now, there's a lot of just tension. I feel like everybody is just on pins and needles and looking for a reason to lash out or, or maybe they've been suppressing so much. And again, it's just bottled up. And so, you know, they do snap or they're more irritated or what have you. But if we would just step back and address it as it's coming, then I think what happens is we're allowing ourselves to create this space where we can really work through it. And we're not responding to it or reacting to it. We're actually working through the process because you can't just get on the other side of grief. I think of it like a storm. We were talking about Florida storms. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. And it's the same thing with grief and awkward emotions, difficulties, you know, tough times, ups and downs. You're just going to have to go through it. So you got to talk about it. Wow. I think that's So I'm a sailor. I love to sail. And for me, the analogy and the reality of sailing is very parallel to life where you can't choose the weather. You can't choose the direction of the wind, but you do have 
the choice of moving your sails and Mm -hmm. reacting to the the outside forces Mm -hmm. and these two choices, right? You either deal with it or you don't. And if you don't deal with it, then your mast breaks or your sail blows Mm -hmm. out or you might uh, capsize or go down. Mm -hmm. I love that you say that because we can definitely connect there. I have a talk that's called how to adjust your sails and it's about navigating. Yeah. It's called, it's about navigating life. When a hardship occurs, you know, what do you do? And this is the thing. I'm a solutions-based person. I always have been. So when this occurred in my life, I was like, okay, what do I do? I mean, I was down for a while. Don't get me wrong. I definitely was like eating Ben and Jerry's and not showering for days. (laughs) But there came a point, like I said, where I, (laughs) I realized I have two choices here. And so when I knew, okay, I have to get up and I have to put one foot in front of the other, I became so driven by solutions And by the grace of God, I was really put in line with some resources that help you to realize that we do have solutions out here. But again, this is why we need to talk about it. We need to share these resources. And and some of them are, you know, how do you navigate hardship by focusing on your total well-being? Like you said, we can't, you know, change or predict the weather or what has happened or anything. But we can choose how we're going to respond to it. And one of the ways to respond as you are trying to manage some sort of turmoil is by focusing on that self-care. You know, there are foods that we can eat that help to combat depression and anxiety and stress. I mean, there's there are great resources that will help you to pick out what food or exercise, you know. Is it Ben and Jerry's? Is that it? <laughs> it's not. And I was like, come on, are there some blueberries in here? No, not, not in the fish food one. So, but I mean, you know, it's food, it's your physical well-being, it's your mental well-being. What are you reading? What motivational videos are you listening to? Or it's also your emotional well-being. Like I said, let yourself cry. Let yourself talk about and give life to some of these emotions that are really complex. We are complex beings. We're human. And even your spiritual well-being, you know, that's not always tied to a faith. Now, I'm a Christian, so my spiritual well-being was tied to my relationship and my faith with God, but that's not for everybody. And spiritual well-being can be just how are you centering yourself? Are you doing meditation practices? You know, are you giving yourself that quiet time and, and getting all these distractions out of the way? That's part of taking care of your spiritual well-being. And so there are all these different solutions out there that we can apply to help us get through these hard times. But a lot of people don't know it and maybe aren't looking for it because they're so consumed with the weight of their of their emotional distress. And so, you know, there are definitely solutions out there. I highly suggest people, you know, start to tap into that. And the biggest thing that I think will shift all of this is we have to release the shame that's tied to this. I realize I'm not the only widow. I'm not the first and I'm not the last. And as a matter of fact, after my husband died, right after my sister was going through a divorce. And so one of the biggest myths about grief is that it's only tied to a death, but it's not. It can be job loss or divorce or financial loss, job change, changes within organizations, or your kids are moving out. You know, empty nest syndrome is real. (laughs) There's so many different things that can create. Or your startup stops starting and fails miserably. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, again, conversation is what's going to give this life and help to just stimulate that knowledge and help people to navigate it successfully. Well, your words are definitely stimulating and the tone, your passion for it obviously comes out. And it's almost a like a dichotomy of the subject because you'd think mourning, loss, someone from the Adams uh, family is sort of talking and it's <laughs> sit on my couch and talk to me about your childhood. And you're like, no, no, this is great. You got two choices. You're going to trim your sails. You're going to do it. Like, 
it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, think about it, right? Like, I don't think of a grief counselor as somebody who has as much pep in their step, but I think that's cool. <laughs> I have to be true to myself, though. Yeah, yeah, I have you have to be to. true to myself. <laughs> so speaking of pep in your step, the situation has happened to you, right? The weather has hit you. You've adjusted your sales. But I want to know just for a second, were you historically comfortable in front of people speaking? Were you ASB president? Were you part of the speech and debate club? Was speaking part of your past or did you just like all of a sudden learn how to sail because of this? Not Yes and no. I think that it was always an innate ability. Yeah, I remember my parents told me when I was younger, when you were about five years old, your teacher said you're going to be a leader because you don't like to stop talking or you can't <laughs> stop talking. I was like, what? Uh, but, but there is this great Steve Jobs quote and it says, you can see where you're going, but only when you turn around to connect the dots. Yeah, yeah. And so I realized that, that all of my jobs always involve some sort of training aspect. And that's the part that I loved. But I will say that when I stepped out on my own and became an entrepreneur and a small business owner, that it really helped to unleash talents and abilities that I didn't know that I had. When you go through a sudden change like this, excuse me, or a loss, then your confidence is rocked. And I don't know, I really don't understand the science behind that. I know there's an immediate chemical deficiency that happens when you experience the loss of a loved one, but I'm not really sure how that's tied to your confidence, but it is so real because I definitely thought that I was a confident person before my husband died. And after he died, I was unsure of my abilities. But as I was building up, you know, this business and my speaking platform and career, it was almost like it just tore back all of these all this bondage is, is kind of how it felt like all this bondage was just broken. And I really honestly feel like I have evolved and continuing to evolve with more clarity into the best version of myself. So I'm sure it was in there, but you know, I don't know. It's now coming out at a different level for sure. No, but I, I think that's inspiring for a lot of people who might not have a past or a history of quote unquote public speaking. I didn't take speech and debate like I'm behind the ball. But you are a living testament to the fact that when you look back, you have a lot of experience to draw upon and being true to yourself, mm -hmm. you're taking your sails in a position that you, you have two choices. You either get off the boat, don't leave the dock, or you go out. Mm -hmm. there. And sometimes trial by fire is the best way because I would imagine if you were classically trained and maybe when your mom got the message about you talking too much in class, she put you in speech debate and you know trained you like a, a father would a son who wants him to be quarterback that could work against you. And I think that mm -hmm. you're talking about at the end of the day, relating to people. And I always challenge people say, you know, are you a public speaker? And most of them say, well, no. And I say, well, you just spoke in public. So I'm sorry, but you are <laughs> yes. this idea that thoughts become words and words become things. So if you think the thoughts you want, like you can set yourself up for opportunity versus no, 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 no. I would, I would never, I get so nervous. Like we all get nervous. Mm -hmm. And really the audience is there to support you. Yeah. They want to learn from you and they want to get something from you. But I mean, we are connected by our human spirits. And so they're cheering you on along the way. But I think really where it starts is you have to have the courage to be yourself. Everybody has something that they can offer this world. And when you identify what your passion is and what really just brings joy, 
the more that you tap into that and have the courage to be yourself in that fullest space, you're going to find your tribe. You're going to find other people that want to learn that about you or from you or, or just hear your position on this. And so you definitely have to embrace that and not feel like there are certain steps you have to take to get there. No, just open your mouth, start talking, start talking to the people in the grocery store, right? <laughs> like just start getting comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, you're literally creating your own wind for your own sail, and you have all these people that are in inner tubes and different floaties and maybe a unicorn floaty and a swan floaty, and you're cruising along, and you're like, hey, this is where I'm going. You're talking, creating your own wind and momentum, and like people are going to want to jump on your boat. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So you did a great job at at doing my job of transitioning to the second part where we talk about your tips, and the the tip number one is you've got to be yourself, and you've got to chart your own course, allowing and understanding that people will see that movement and jump onto your boat or train or car or scooter or skateboard, whatever it is that you ride. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so that's, you know, kind of going back to my earlier point is I had to get out of my own way. There was a lot of obviously difficult emotions that surrounded my husband's sudden death. I had a little one and he had a business and I mean, I was 29. This is when life was starting. So all of this was completely unexpected when it happened. And so what I recognized and not through my own eyes, like I I didn't come up with this on myself, but I I had a, a life coach who told me, she said, listen, you have to be authentic. You have to talk about the good and the bad because people aren't going to be able to connect with you if you're so strong all the time. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like I do have to talk about this yucky stuff that I don't want to talk about. I have to give life to that. I have to talk about the real part of it. And that was where I had to find the courage to be myself and to get out of my own way and realize that this will help other people because, you know, people hear my story and they're like, oh my goodness, this is absolutely insane. This is so tragic. How are you even going on? But you know, I hear other people's story and I feel the exact same way. Like, oh my gosh, I couldn't have imagined that happening. So, right. you know, all that to say is that a lot of times we have these voices in our head that will tell us like, no, don't say that or don't go there or, you know, maybe you shouldn't. And no, that I would say ignore those, be your authentic self and see those results start to change and start to come forth. So going back to the sailing analogy, I just can't help but keep to going back to this. I've been on some very large, very nice boats that you could have a white glove on a dirty day and pick up no dirt whatsoever. Mm. Then you've got other boats that are scrappy and dirty holes with patches. And, you know, they're both authentic in their own way. But if you ever step foot on a 60 foot plus crazy, beautiful boat, like you are on pins and needles and it's hard to get super comfortable because it's so well-maintained. It's so strong. It's just like, Mm. oh my God, this is a like, you detach from it. But when you're on somebody's boat, that's like a little rough around the edges. It's already got some dirt. They're like, Oh, who cares? Keep your shoes on. Like make yourself at home. Like, uh, Oh, you drop. Oh, that's okay. That's going to be fine. Don't worry. Like it's more comfortable to be on. That is such a great analogy. Or even to somebody's house. Like if you've ever gone to somebody's house, like stop, take off your shoes. It's like white carpet. Then like a white poodle comes in to to pet you or to (laughs) to pet. And it's like very, very uncomfortable. It's hard to like versus, hey, take your shoes off, come on inside, like, uh, excuse my mess, but this is how I live. 
Mm-hmm, exactly. And you know, I always, I love that because I always say that I hope that I'm the kind of friend where, you know, you can come in my house and just open up the refrigerator. Yes. You know, like there's yes. no awkwardness. I just want you to be able to like come <laughs> in, take your shoes off, lay on the couch. Like that's how I, the atmosphere I want to create. And it's not just, you know, the atmosphere of where I live, but that's how I want people to feel when we are connecting. That's kind of the vibration that I want to give off. All right. So hashtag refrigerator theory, the grief consultant refrigerator theory <laughs> is that if, if your content, <laughs> what you want to talk about, if you would feel awkward about someone coming and opening up your fridge to see all the content that you have, like the, the bad speeches, the good speeches, the places where you messed up in front of a bunch of middle schoolers because you forgot that they don't really <laughs> react to people like normal people. Yeah. <laughs> If you feel like someone can get on your boat and open up your ice chest or get in your house and open up your refrigerator, like first thing, that's when you know you're in the sweet spot. I like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So be yourself, be authentic, be comfortable with other people opening up your refrigerators and don't worry about your boat being completely polished all of the time. What else you got for us? Man, I think as it pertains to speaking, the biggest lesson that I learned because you know some people speak and they're not looking to monetize it. And for me, I, I do want to monetize it. And so I realized, and this goes back to my old recruiting days, that it's a numbers game. It really is a numbers game. It's not just about who you know, but it's how much you're putting yourself out there. So I would just try to speak at everything. I virtually did not care what it was. And I didn't care you know, if it was paid or not. It's the experience. And so I would encourage anybody who wants to be a speaker to recognize that it is a numbers game. It's a numbers game because first of all, you're building up your reputation, but you're also getting more practice. People do ask me, oh, did you go to Toastmasters or have you done this? No, I haven't done any formal training. <laughs> I just won't stop talking. <laughs> won't stop, can't stop, won't stop, can't. It's like, I, I bet you'd make a good rapper, by the way. Have you ever tried your hand in rapping? Okay, this is really funny. So <laughs> if you catch me driving and you see your mouth, my mouth moving, I'm doing one of two things. I'm either talking to God or I'm rapping. <laughs> like it's two complete separate sides of the spectrum, but <laughs> definitely I have tried. And I may not be rapping what's on the radio. I may just have something in my head that I want to get out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> dang, now everybody knows my secret. <laughs> I thought that was you on the freeway the other. No, never mind. You're in a different state, but there are other people like you out there. And actually, it's funny when I'm on a sailboat and I'm single handing and I'm out there by myself in the ocean, like I'll, I'll actually turn on Pandora or Spotify to a beatbox channel and I'll just like sort of like flow and rap and like just kind of freestyle with my own thing because I'm in the middle of the ocean. No one can hear me. Uh, it's, it's pretty fun. The boat is your stage. Yes, my boat is my stage. Uh, no, I think this idea of never saying no to a speaking opportunity is huge. I do a stick figure drawings every day and I actually have little stickers that I made of them. And one is on my laptop. There's two of them. One says never say no to a speaking opportunity. And on the other side, it says forgive your slip ups. And for me, I do daily reminders of those because it is a numbers game and it's also a numbers game of failure, right? The more times you speak, the more times you're going to mess up. It's the flip side of it. Mm -hmm. But if you understand that those are really growing opportunities, then keep slipping on the banana, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a, you know, there's another, another piece to that too. Obviously that piece of advice is really good as you're talking about building up your speaking career. But here's the thing. Why are you a speaker? You're a speaker because you have a message that you want to take to the world. And there may be people who need to hear that message that are not in an audience that's able to pay for it. Hmm. So you have to think about why am I doing this? 
And that really is something that convicts my heart every time somebody asks me to come and speak. And there are other ways that you can make it worth your while. For example, if there's a a small local group that asks me to come and speak and they're looking for motivation, I'm like, sure, absolutely. Can you have somebody there take pictures for me? Yeah. That's enough for me. I'm happy to have those pictures out, right? Or do you mind if I videotape it? And you can just set up your own little camcorder in the back and that's, you know, good practice for you, education for you. But you never know. The reason you're a speaker is because you have a message that you want to take to the world and you never know who needs to hear that message. And so don't hold that back. Say yes, because you could be changing lives in areas or or corners of the world that you had no idea would need to hear that message. Yeah, and I think that for those type of speakers who have the opposite mentality, it works against them. Because I found some of the most fulfilling talks to audiences that don't have the ability to pay for it. Like I, I just spoke at the Los Angeles library to a bunch mm-hmm. of entrepreneurs. There was a, you know, a group that's a nonprofit. And these are entrepreneurs, not like, hey, I'm in college and I'm making an app and I'm, you know, financing this by my whatever. These are people that are they're making a living because of their business and it's still difficult. These are like the core entrepreneurs. Mm. And just to like meet them and share everything that I had, it's different than making money. But I've already gotten emails back and that mm-hmm. will lead to more opportunities. And I think it is. It's it's exciting. John Bates, who I've had on, on the show as well, it affected me when I said, you know, how do you go about making money? And he just said, Ryan, before I even talk about that, I always donate a certain amount of my time no matter what. And I just like, it's such a great reminder because I saw this quote the other day and I'm curious your thought. It was focus on the outcome, not the income. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the outcome that you want? Why are you a speaker? Is it to impact people? Is it to do this? And if you focus on that, the income eventually comes in. At least Mm -hmm. that's what I'm learning from hearing about the same situation across so many speakers from around the world. I dig it. I like it. Yeah. And, and I think that that's probably an innate trait that we all share because, again, that's why we want to speak, because we want to make an impact on this world. And so, but you can get kind of lost in, well, I need to make money. I need this. I need that. Or I need to, and that's fine. But then what I found are a lot of successful speakers, they're not just speaking. They do have a company, right? Or they do have a business or they have a job. You know, they don't have to have their own thing. Maybe they're working. But the point is, is because the fulfillment is by the lives that they touch, not necessarily by the money. And money is a tool. It's not the goal. It's just a tool to help you do more. So again, if you're stimulated by the right objectives, and that is to actually change hearts, open minds, you know, inspire lives, then you're going to be blessed beyond measure, beyond measure. I think that is super inspiring. And one of my favorite overarching concepts is that successful people don't do what everyone else cannot do. Successful people do what everyone can do, but not everybody does. And Mm. the low-hanging fruit of just basic stuff that everyone has access to is is there. It's just for the taking. And so I think so many people look for those shortcuts. Okay, so my final question on this midsection about you know, your speaking tips. I'm just, I want to dive into how important it is for you to have this niche market, because I don't know anyone else who talks about grief as their main topic. And I think from what I've heard in my conversations with upcoming speakers, that's a big struggle point. Like, do I focus on one thing or do I have three topics or like, ah, it's super stressful. You are a great example of somebody who has really made the niche element work. How can you speak to that 
from a tactical perspective of people who are either now speaking or want to do it? Well, this is what I realized. So I wanted to talk about grief to make it less awkward. And specifically, I wanted to talk about it in the workplace. I knew that I would always be connected to help grievers, but I really wanted to make a change about how grief is seen and handled in the workplace. Mm. But what I found was that employers don't want to talk about it. And so I had to do a little bit of soul searching. And so it wasn't just about an isolated grief incident. It was about the kind of cultures that we're creating. So what I found was what really is important to me is that we're creating safe and caring workplaces, that we are tapping into these natural human behaviors of compassion and empathy. Now, what I did was, was instead of leading with grief, I let, and I now lead with talking about compassion and empathy, but I always talk about grief. Because once you get in the door, you know, you tell them what they want, but then you give them what they need. Is there some some quote out there about that? And so I've always stayed true to it. But what's interesting was I just had to look at really what is my bigger purpose? My bigger purpose is there's nothing I can do to cure grief in the world. I can't stop it from happening. You know, I, I can't make everybody have the kind of perspective that I have, but I can talk about these two human behaviors, compassion and empathy that will naturally help to ease this shame or judgment that's tied to grief. It just goes hand in hand. It go, it, what happens is when people practice compassion and empathy on a daily basis and when they start to build skill there, that is mastery preparation for the time of crisis, for tragedy. Then because you're already operating from this space, from this natural headspace through compassion and empathy, then when something does happen, you already have the tools and you're already equipped to show up and be everything you need to be. Right. <laughs> so I do talk about grief, but I did have to, you know, just to clarify, I did have to broaden out a little more because that was the way for me to lead with a more positive and palatable, honestly, topic. Now, what's interesting is I recently spoke at Inbound, um, which is a HubSpot conference put on in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Congratulations. That's big time. That's a big sailboat race right there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it was an amazing experience. But when I applied, first of all, I forgot that I applied (laughs) and I didn't even know what it was when I applied. But when I received the the acceptance, you know, at the time I was actually getting ready for my TED talk. So I didn't even look back at the email for about four weeks. But then I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really big. You know, I saw that like Brene Brown was going to be there, Adam Grant, you know, Michelle Obama. So I'm like, wait a minute, why do they want me to talk about grief? Because I had submitted a grief application. It was actually called now what, what do you do when tragedy hits your community or organization? Good grief. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and so, so I was like, why do they want me to talk about this? So anyway, so I get there. And what's so interesting is that Brene Brown is talking about empathy. Adam is talking about empathy. Michelle Obama is talking about empathy. And what I recognized was that our world is in need of the human spirit just being revitalized. We need to flourish. And so it does pertain to grief. But the bigger problem, the bigger picture again, is how are we connecting with one another? And there's this phenomenal quote that Brene Brown said. She said, what side of humanity are you on? So although I feel like I can stay true to you know my grief talk and I'll always talk about how do we help each other, I am realizing that and needing to adjust to you know our world today that it is much bigger than just talking about grief. It really is focusing on how can we help one another and support one another on a day-to-day basis. 
And I think that that is going to be super refreshing to everyone who is on pins and needles to the answer of that question, because nobody wants to niche down, niche down. Okay, here's a real question. Is it niche or niche? Potatoes or potatoes? I say niche. Niche, okay. I like it, though. Yeah. I also say literally, because I want to be from London. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not the person to ask. I try to not say literally. That's one of my go-to words. So and literally and now. Those are my three that I'm trying to get rid of. But maybe if I say literally, it'll it'll, uh, spice it up a little bit. (laughs) So I think people are excited to hear that there is an importance of having that niche. Yes. But at the same time, you really have to be cognizant of your audience and the outcomes that the people who are paying you want. Yes. And I know you threw the quote out, but something like give them what they think they want and then deliver what you know they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's good. So like, and this is even helpful for me because when I first started really trying to get out there, I was speaking about startups and entrepreneurship and communication and pitching and business hacks. And I really wasn't getting the traction. But as soon as I started speaking about speaking, then the applications for communication are still core to everything I do. And now once I'm in, I can make little tangents and branches and touch different stuff, but it's all under that umbrella. Very cool. Exactly, exactly. And I would say this, like, even if somebody said, you know, they wanted to talk about being a single parent and or, you know, whatever, raising a kid on a farm, you're gonna be like, Oh, my gosh, that's really, really super narrow. What do I do? But there are some other themes in there. That's a great word. You could talk about resiliency. Yeah, you can use all these different words and themes that help to still capture and you're still staying true to yourself. But you just have to kind of see the bigger picture because then you can reach more people. But when you stay true to that authentic voice, that story that you have, that experience that you have, that's what makes you, you. And that's what makes people desire your, the experience that you're giving them. But some of those other buzzwords and those themes are still helping you to capture people who may not identify specifically with, you know, the sandbox that you're playing in. Not everybody that I talk to is a widow. But they can relate if they've gone through some sort of tragedy or or they can relate if they've seen somebody go through a tragedy or a hardship. So just be open-minded. Another great quote that I heard one time that pertains to being an entrepreneur, but certainly pertains to somebody as a speaker, is you have to be firm in your goal, but flexible on your journey. And so as long as you know where you're going, you can be flexible in how you get there because you're still going to be able to present your authentic self. I dig it. Like dig it with a with a jackhammer, just getting down in there. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> We're going from boats to street construction. This is awesome. So in this last kind of section, the third section, we want to get as much valuable information that you've learned about how to monetize your message. And we sort of touched on this, you know, say yes to opportunities. Don't be afraid to speak for free. Even payment sometimes would be people taking pictures or you videotaping it. But if you were to have like the brass tacks, top three tips that you've learned or flip side mistakes that you've made when it comes to really like, because people talk about speaking and making money, but not everyone does. So how can we help our listeners to monetize their message, knowing that they're authentic and all these other things It's coming from a pure spot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a switch that had to happen with me internally, and I'd love to share this tidbit. I was great at connecting, but I'm horrible at sales. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to give it to you. I just want to help you out. But you know, I, I recognize I have a little boy to feed, right? So I have to monetize this at some point. So it was almost like I had to ease into it. And you can think about it this way. If you have to travel um, to a speaking gig, 
and you have to pay for parking, then ask them to cover that, right? Maybe it's, hey, can you pay $75? Like you, even if it's just starting to have that conversation, starting to practice it, then that can ease you into it. And that's for the people who may be uncomfortable who are asking. Now, I know there are others who are like, I don't care. I'm asking for $20,000. But, <laughs> but most of us, most of us, like money is just kind of awkward, like in having, having that conversation. Ooh, did you hear that? I did. It sounds like that was somebody calling you to book you for a speech. <laughs> As I'm talking about money, see how you put it in the universe and it just comes to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Just no, go ahead and answer and just say, just say, I'm sorry, I'm on a podcast about speaking, but I need $20,000 to show up and then hang up. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I would definitely, you know what though, but that is how you put it in the universe. You have to just start asking for those little things and, and think about your time. You should be paid for your time. But Here's a tip that I actually learned about, you know, moving from the awkwardness to, no, I really want to position myself as a paid speaker. There are all of these online submissions that you can submit your application, whatever they call them, papers or your proposal. So you could submit that. But if you contact the person or email address that's listed, send them a direct message and say, hey, I see you have an online application, but I'm interested, what is your selection for keynote speakers? Mm. Because what I found is you are not always getting paid when you do a breakout session, but they always pay for the keynote speakers. Now, if you don't get it right away, at least you've made a connection. And another tidbit in there is if you haven't already created one, create a digital media kit. You can go onto Canva and you just put your, your face on there, you know, a couple of the badges or logos of places where you've spoken before, a blurb about who you are, some of your key topics. So, so basically, you just create this, this pretty document in Canva, upload it to each- Hold on real quick. Would you call that, is it the same as like a speaker one pager? It's more than a speaker one pager, but yes, I call okay. it a digital media kit. So the reason I ask that is sometimes people talk about their EPK or their electronic press kit which is a mm -hmm. downloadable zip file, which has all of your approved headshots and your bios and your summaries and all that stuff. But you're saying this is more of like a speaker resume. I'm just trying to, so everybody understands. Exactly. Because okay. so the next, so, and having a press kit is great. And that's when people have to pull stuff from it. But when you're marketing yourself for these opportunities and you're not going to say, here's a zip file, download it and check it out. So when you create it in Canva, you'll download it either as a, a PDF or a JPEG, and then you upload it to ISU, I-S-S-U-U, ISU.com. It creates this beautiful flip book. It's an ebook and it's free. So you upload it to ISU. So when you're sending the email to this person, you can say, hey, I'm wondering what your selection process is like for your keynote speakers. Here is my digital media kit for you to take a look. They can click right there. They're taken to this web page and they can flip through your book and see some of your badges really quick. It's almost like it, hopefully you have a website. If not, that's okay, but work on it. <laughs> but you condense your website and all of your accolades and maybe even a couple of testimonials. And you know what? I will, I'll make sure that I send this to you. And if you have show notes and you can put it there as an example, yeah. use my stuff. I don't care. That's fine. Like everybody can use that as a template if you want to. Everybody listening is doing a little happy dance. They're like, yay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm of the abundance mindset. So please feel free to use that as a template. But you know, when you get into Canva, you can get down a rabbit hole. So make it yours, 
But when you send them that, then they have a quick look at you. And even if they're not booking for a keynote right away, then you have a direct contact with somebody who you can then put that on your speaker Excel sheet. You have it on your calendar when you should follow up because they'll tell you when the next round is, if they've already selected their keynotes, when they open it up for consideration. But that's how you get connected to those paid opportunities that I have found. And that was a huge shift for me. I'm not just going to apply online and be one of, you know, a hundred or a hundred thousand different people. I want those opportunities where yes, that they're paid, but they're also going to be, they're also going to be connections that you can cultivate with these direct people instead of the online application. All right. So we're going back to the sailing analogy here and this, I'm digging this one because a primary way of getting towards the wind, which is blowing in your face is to tack back and forth. You actually have to go to the left, flip around, go to the right. And you are making small incremental progress, but you're not going to become a keynote the first time you submit your application in in the midst of hundreds of people. No, exactly. So you go as close as you can towards the direction of the wind. You fall off just enough to get so that you have the maximum speed with the maximum angle. And that's where you contact and you have this ESO book and then you tack over because you're getting too far off track and then you come back towards your ley line. And then you add it to your speaker sell spreadsheet and then you tack back and you like their tweets for another six months on Twitter. And then you tack back and you actually attend the conference that you didn't get into yep. and you meet the person in person and then you tack back. And this whole time you're taking other speaking gigs and it's all building up, getting closer to whatever rock you're trying to get on. Exactly. And another tip just to throw in there is even if you don't get to speak at this opportunity, go on to their conference site and look at all the speakers who are on there and connect with them. Mm. connect with those speakers because obviously they've been selected. So they were probably speaking somewhere else. And then the more you connect with other speakers, listen, we have to take care of each other. This is a tribe. (laughs) This is like a secret society kind of thing, but hashtag secret society speaker association. Yes. I love (laughs) it. I love it. But the more that you connect with those speakers who have already been booked, then you are broadening your network. And, you know, speakers think of speakers. I'll go a place and I'll say, hey, do you know anybody? Yes, I do, actually. But we have to connect, you know, not just through LinkedIn, not just through, you know, going out here to these different associations, but be proactive and look at those people who are already booked at the conferences that you want to speak at. Bam. What is your preferred method of social media? Just curious. I love Instagram. Okay. I really, really do. I like Facebook. It's good for articles. And I do a lot of articles as it pertains to grief and hard times and solutions and coaching and stuff like that. But I just love Instagram because I'm a visual person. (laughs) Even when people talk to me, I'm like drawing a picture of their words in my head. So I love Instagram. (laughs) Very cool. And, And don't feel bad about Facebook. I personally hate Facebook. And Twitter is my passion because it's all about condensing what you're supposed to say. Mm. Although with this new 280 thing, like I'm going to be of the thought that I'm still going to pretend like I only have 140, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Whatever works for you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can have a long leash. You don't have to run as as far as everyone else though. You can be comfortable in your little comfort zone of saying less, which could be more. That's true. That's true. Well, I may have to ask you how I can get better with Twitter because my problem is it only has a, a lifetime of maybe what, 10 seconds? Is it, wasn't yeah. that the new thing? Uh, eight, yeah. 18 minutes is like its longest moment, but I'd be happy to help you out. And I've actually invented a, a process and a concept I call a tweet NATO, hashtag tweet NATO. Ooh. And when I go to conferences where I speak, I'm very, very active on Twitter. And Twitter is very much a live platform. So for example, when I was in China at the Rise Conference, there was over 16,000 people there. There was over 6,000 people that were tweeting, hundreds and just, just tons of activity. And I out-tweeted everyone. Mm. So on all the statistics, like 
here's this guy, this ginger from the middle of nowhere in China. And uh, I got, I don't know, millions and millions of impressions within that three or four day period, but it's very strategic. So I'd be happy to, to help share that, but you need to do a show on that. We should. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. I think Forbes in Asia is working on an article on the tweet NATO, uh, but I social media marketing world, I got recognized last year as the top speaker of the entire event, but I didn't even speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. That's so yeah. great. Yeah. I out tweeted and had so much of a presence on Twitter that people just assumed I was a speaker because I was mentioned so much and, and I was just really taking, here's the trick. And, and I'll, this is the overarching guide of the tweet NATO. At conferences, people have their computers and their iPads, and they're taking notes frivolously. And I did that one time, and I didn't find my notes until a month before the conference the next year. It's like, that didn't do anything for me. Mm. So if you take notes at a conference on Twitter, not like, hey, I'm here in front of the booth, or hey, look at me, I'm doing something, and they're adding no value. If you're actually engaged and pulling as much of the amazing information from the speakers as possible and delivering that to everyone, it's a fantastic value proposition and my notes are public. Then I take all my notes and I storify them. And I also use the, if then, then that, do you know about the, if then, then that app? Yes. Yes. So, so I use a certain hashtag of the conference and then if then, then that puts all of my tweets into a spreadsheet automatically. And so I have this like reference of amazing notes and I can go back and whichever ones have the most likes and retweets, I know that content is valuable to my followers. Then I can create content based on that. And it goes round and round and round and round. So good. So yes. good. I love that. Okay. There's going to be a whole episode dedicated to <laughs> TweetNATO for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, well, I can't believe this has already been 45 plus minutes, but I really feel like having no idea who you were beforehand. And and I want people to know that we have a whole team that vets speakers before they come on, but I'm the kind of host. I like to meet people like in real life. I don't do the cyber stalking beforehand. So I really feel like I got to know you and your speaking tips are so core to just being real that I, I love that because everyone can do that. And then, you know, your advice of this issuu.com. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. And then having your speaker Excel spreadsheet and this, you know, really making money by looking at it as a long trip and sailing <laughs> can take a long time. It's not like you're on a powerboat, right? You don't have control <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, I dig it. All right. So we'll either have to go sailing or we'll have to speak on stage together sometime. But this has been a lot of fun. And or both. Yeah, on a boat. We'll, we'll get a boat. We'll charter a boat, sail the islands. Yeah. But I, I'm going to do my best at looking at grief in a different way and dig more into your content. And I'm, I'm inspired to have that help me out because we all deal with that, but you've really put a positive spin on it to help empower people. Well, great. Well, anything I can do to help, you know, I, I know that my mission and now that I have this clarity is just to help spread a little more healing in this world because we all need it. So I, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And my final question, if people were going to find you online, where would you like them to go first? Yes, they can go to my website, karenmillsap.com. Remember Millsap, two L's. Two L's. <laughs> That's right. You can contact me there. You can um, get a lot of resources. If you are a griever, I have so a ton of free resources. I never want a griever to feel like they can't afford healing. And then if you're looking for any more tips on speaking, please reach out to me. I am happy to help. Maybe you should call them grief sources set of resources. Ooh, hashtag grief sources. I love that. Thanks, All right. You, you can take that one to the bank. Well, hey, Karen, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> stay tuned for more podcasts. Go back and find the old ones and stay tuned for the future ones. It's so fun to speak 
with world-class speakers from around the world. This is DJ Ginger MC signing out. Bye, Karen. Bye.